Well, good morning, Riverside. How are you doing this morning? Good morning, Riverside. How are you doing? Yes, much better. So glad you have decided to join us this morning. Welcome to you that are joining us online. As always, don't just watch online, participate. And so engage, put the laundry down, put whatever distractions you're doing, and tune in, follow along, just as if you are here in person. And so really grateful for you joining us this morning. Today, as we said, we are wrapping up our study in 2 Timothy, which is an incredibly short short book, only just a, about four chapters, but incredibly dense with just gold nuggets of information for us to wrestle with. Second Timothy, if you have not been tracking along with us or are new to kind of being with us, Second Timothy is all about passing down the faith to the next generation of followers, to the next generation of disciples. There's a young man, Timothy, who has a whole lot of things that seem to be stacked against him, and yet he has this anointing on his life to be the pastor at a church in Ephesus. And so Paul has found this spiritual son in young Timothy, and he pins him this letter to encourage him to walk out his discipleship and to be faithful in following Christ. This is an incredibly pivotal moment in the life of Paul because Paul is writing 2 Timothy in the twilight of his years. He is in chains, in prison, knowing he is not getting out of this one. And so he pins this letter his last words, if you will, to Timothy. And so if you are writing your seemingly last words to somebody, they're going to be important and really uh, significant for us to tune into. And so that's the context of what is going on in 2 Timothy. And so today we're going to do things a little backwards. We got, uh, we're going to go six verses 6 through uh, 22 in chapter 4, but we're going to read through it first, and then we're going to come back and we're going to focus on just the first couple of verses that we read uh, and so if you are tracking along with us this morning, please open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4, or the easiest thing to do is to go to our Bible app. Like I said, we're going to kind of blow through this first part. Uh, it's not really the thrust of where we're going to be going, but as we've seen in 2 Timothy, Tim, Paul writes to Timothy and says, all scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting. And so we're going to dig the gold out of that and then really focus in on verses 6 through 8. And so let's Let's jump into that starting now. All right, 2 Timothy 4, starting in verse 6. For, am I, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness that the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, which is very near for Paul. And not only to me, but all those who have longed for his appearing. Now we'll come back to this in a second. And so Paul writes, do your best to come to me quickly. But why? Because Paul knows this is it for him. He is not going to make it out of this one. He has been shipwrecked. He's been beaten. He's been bitten by snakes. He's been stoned outside of the community, left for half dead. And yet this time is different for Paul. He knows this is the end of his story. So come quickly. Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, he has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Now remember a couple of weeks ago, uh, the week, last week Jason taught, the week before I taught, but we talked about the current of this world is not moving towards godliness. 
It is actually drifting further and further away. Culture is not drifting towards health. It is drifting towards unhealth. And Paul says that Demas somehow got caught up in the drift that was pushing away from Christ. Keep going. Uh, Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia evidently to get a dog. And only Luke is with me at this point. And this is the Dr. Luke. Um, and if you know anything about scripture, this is Luke who wrote the gospel of Luke who also wrote um, the book of Acts. And Paul has sent for Luke and Luke is tending to Paul probably because we ha- there's evidence that Luke is a doctor. And he is tending to Paul in the weakest moments of his life, right before Paul, as he says, receives the final crown of righteousness. And keep going. This part's really fascinating. He says this. Get Mark and bring him with me because Mark is really helpful to me in ministry. Now, this is not just a a random Mark in the the gospel story. This is Mark um, from Acts chapter 15. See, Paul uh, was familiar with Mark. In Acts chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas are gearing up for another missionary journey around like that part of the region. And, uh, but the first time, uh, uh, Barnabas, excuse me, Barnabas wants to take Mark, Mark, but the first time they went on this missionary journey, Mark checked out. He did not have what they would say like a moral failure or anything like that. But Mark got tired. The job got hard. He was in the grind and he checked out. And at this point, Paul was like, listen, we cannot count on Mark. He is not going. And they have what the scripture says, a sharp dispute and they go their separate ways. Barnabas is this tender-hearted guy where he's like, I'll give you a chance and then I'll give you another chance and let's take Mark. And Paul is like, no, listen, ministry is hard. Following Christ is hard. And when we needed him, he bailed on me. And if you know anything about the life of Paul, Paul is an all-go type of guy. Pedal to the floor, type A personality. It's fourth and long, and if you're not on my team, poof, you're off my team. Mark, I can't count on you. And what is so beautiful about this part of the scripture, he says, Oh, go get Mark. I love Mark. He's so useful to me. And when we were praying this morning, um, Linda said something just in passing, which is profound, which she does a lot. But she said something really profound, that you never spiritually retire. And there are older people in our community that are hungering and thirsting after the Lord. And you see that even in Paul's old age. There is the sanctifying, the process of growing in Christ that is still happening when Paul is in his twilight years to where somewhere along the road, him and Mark reconciled. And now when he looks back at somebody that he had a sharp dispute with, somebody that turned his back on him, he's like, oh, go get Mark. I love Mark. He's so useful to me. And it's the gospel continuing to work. Verse 12. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. That's to go help Timothy. And when you come, this is, this is really interesting. It's funny. It says, when you come, bring my cloak, my cloak that I left in Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, and especially the parchment papers. Now, why would Paul include that in there? Because it really happened. <laughs> it's Oftentimes, when we read the scripture, we can almost take the humanness out 
of the stories. And what Paul is saying, hey, Timothy, remember last time we were in carpool? Man, I left my coat in the back seat. Oh, and don't forget in the back window seal of the pickup truck, I left my parchment papers in the scrolls. So would you please remember to bring those? Because this is a real story about how the gospel really spread. This is not a story that's being made up, but these are real things with real people that have real things transpire in their life. Look at verse 16 says this. At my first defense, no one came to my support. Everyone deserted me. And may it not be held against them. And so Paul, remember, is writing to this really young pastor that's got a call on his life to be the pastor of a really crucial, dysfunctional church in Ephesus. And Paul writes to him and says, following Christ is lonely. And Timothy, you will often find yourself alone. I'm at the end of my life. I've gave my life away for the gospel. And Jesus is really all I have. I only have one friend with me at the end of my days, and that's Luke. Look at verse 17. But the Lord stood by me and gave me strength. Paul wants young Timothy to know, if you look around and you're the only one You are the only one that is walking it out. If you're the only one at the end of your days being faithful and all you have left is Jesus, Paul wants you to know you have everything you need. Everything you need is found in the person of Jesus. And he wants Timothy to know. Suddenly, if you look around, Timothy, and it gets difficult, it gets hard, things are not going your way. If you have Christ, you have all you need, so keep going. But the Lord stood by me and gave me strength so that, listen to this part, this is really significant, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and the Gentiles might hear it. So this is so backwards for how we tend to operate. Most of the time we tend to think, Lord, would you strengthen me in this season? Would you gird me up? Would you give me the legs and strength underneath me to steady me right now so that I can be comfortable and confident right now? And what do you see in Paul? Lord, would you strengthen me, not for myself, I don't live a me-centered, me-focused life, but for the sake of the gospel, so that I can go spread the news to the ends of the earth. And that is a very different understanding from what we typically experience. Lord, would you just give me strength? God, would you just bring me peace? Because I need to be peaceful and I need to be confident. And what Paul actually says is, my life has never been in my hands. My life always belongs to him. My strength, not for me. My strength for his glory and for his purposes. That's what he says. Keep going. Uh, And I was delivered out. And this isn't even the main stuff we're talking about. Look how good that is. And I was delivered out of the lion's mouth. And the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack. Now listen to this part. And it will bring me safely to your heavenly kingdom. Notice what Paul writes Timothy. He's not, God does not save young Paul. Or does, excuse me. God does not save Paul from pain, but through it. He doesn't remove him out of the pain, but he saves Paul through the pain so that he will get his heavenly reward. It's a different perspective when you think about pain and suffering in this earth. And look at what he says. To him be the glory forever 
amen. And like every good pastor, after he says amen, he's got a little bit more things to say. <laughs> and he keeps on going. Look at verse 19. Oh, greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesphorus. Erastus stayed in Chorus, and I left Trophimus uh, in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Remember, Paul says, bring my coat because it's going to get cold. Be your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you, and so does Pudens and Linus and Claudia. And if you are looking for a baby name, Haley, those are some great baby names because we need some more puddings around here, which I think is a lot of fun. <laughs> um, uh, so greet all of them, your brothers and sisters, and the Lord be with you. And then Paul closes his letter, letter down here and he says this, grace be with you all. And so Paul's final words to young Timothy at the end of all of it is he encourages young Timothy, just be faithful. Be faithful to the end, Timothy. And Timothy is this young pastor that's up and coming, and he has this incredibly different uh, call that lies ahead of him. And Paul knows that he is going to be, he's going to tend to be afraid. And so Paul writes to him, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. God has not given you the spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-discipline. Therefore, young Timothy, keep on running after Christ. It's beautiful. And the reason that Paul can believe, the reason that Paul can say this to young Timothy is because Paul has gone first. Paul has run the race that has been set before him. Paul has stood the test. He has stood up time and time and time again. And Paul is writing to young Timothy and he wants Timothy. It's like Timothy from like every bit of who Paul is, is screaming to Timothy, make it count. Just make it count, Timothy. Make your life count. You only get one life. You only get one shot at this, Timothy. And what Paul would say to us is, for so many of us, we spend the majority of our time focused on, can we be honest, if we're really good and we're really fortunate about the 80 years that we're here on earth. And we live for what we can see that is right in front of us. And Paul is writing to young Timothy, make your life count in the here and now, but don't forget about the kingdom, the eternity perspective that will go on and on and on. Yes, think about today, but live with the kingdom mindset. And I want my life to matter that way too. Where what matters, it matters here and now, but I want my life to matter and echo for eternity, forever and ever. We live in a world that literally spends billions of dollars a day getting you to prioritize and to think about what is right in front of you. That is normal. And we live on this merry-go-round of life where we get up and it's the same thing day after day. I go to work, I do my thing, I come home. I go to work, I do my thing, and I come home. And we live on this merry-go-round of life where the only thing that really we prioritize is the weekend. And Paul is writing to young Timothy and says, make it count. Make your life count here and there. Because the truth is, so many of us will focus on the here and now. And we need to be honest in the church how we talk about it. Because the truth is, you can live for today and you can find a whole, a whole lot of happiness. 
but it's not the same thing as joy. Happiness and joy are not the same thing. Happiness is, is when I get a new car. Happiness is when I get to move into the neighborhood that I finally want to move. Happiness is when I get the raise. And you and I both know that those things will never satisfy us. And we can spend all of our days chasing down happiness. And yet the scripture says the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord, this deep-rooted, soul-satisfying satisfaction that the Lord offers us. And so I want us to jump back in to verses 6 through 8. And I want us to see how Paul kind of brings and narrows in this conversation uh, with young Timothy. So let's go back and look at verse 6. It says this. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time for my departure is near. It says that Paul is being poured out. And we live in a world that tells us, don't be poured out, be full. Be full of yourself. Be full of your opinions. Be full, be full of your rights. Be full of your preferences. And we f follow a Savior that came not to be served, but to serve and give his life away as a ransom for many. He came to pour, to empty his life out for us. And I can't even lay down my opinions. I can't even lay down my, my preferences. And yet the example that we see is not a life that is lived that's full, but a life that is poured out. Paul says, I have fought the good fight. Paul doesn't say, do you remember that one time when I got in the ring and I took the swing and then I backed out? He says, no, I fought the race to the very end. And then he says, I finished the race that was set before me. I've run, I mean, 15, 20 long distance marathon races before. And you know what has never happened to me? It has never happened to me where I get to mile 20, 21, 22, and I've never gotten to me where I've said, I feel great. My legs feel fresh. I think I'm going to go another 26 miles on this thing. My, my legs hurt. I want to quit. Everything in me is hurting, and yet there is this deep satisfaction that the race is coming to an end, that I have nothing left to give at the very end. And Paul says, that's my life. Everything in me is sore. Everything in me is hurting. And I am not going to quit. I will finish the race that is set before me. And I will keep the faith. And he says, Timothy, look at my life. Use my life as an example. Because I have finished the race that is set before me. Use me as your example. Because I have stood faithful to the very end. Now. During COVID season, the, this last you know four or six months, I've done more funerals than than I've done in uh, the last 13 years here on staff, and they are not COVID-related funerals. It just happens to be in this season there is uh, a lot of uh, deaths in our community, uh, and it's also interesting that I, I've done a whole lot of weddings right now too. In fact, I did a wedding outside, uh, outside at 5 o'clock, suit and tie, Friday at 5 o'clock. <laughs> Woo! And it was hot. And uh, although any day of the week, if you ask me which one I would rather do, weddings are so much fun. I love them. 
But if you ask me which one I would rather do, hands down a funeral every single time. Because when you get married and I marry somebody at the altar, man, it's, it's ice cream and it's puppy dogs and it's sunshine. And let's be honest, it's not really real life. You know, there's a whole marriage after there and yet there's this big, and it's important and it's beautiful. And I think it's all, I mean, I love it. But do you know where you talk about the real stuff? The stuff that really, really matters is when someone passes. We had a funeral uh, just this last week up here, last Sunday night, and we got to talk about the stuff that really mattered. You see, the truth is, this is hard for us to swallow, but do you know what the death rate in America is? It hovers right around 100%. (laughs) And there will be a day where you pass and I pass and we'll come to the church and we'll eat some potato salad and we'll say really nice things about one another. And what I want to tell you right now is if you want to know what you're really living for, what your priority is, what your values are in life, pay attention. Well, you can't pay attention, (laughs) but it will be what the people say about you, what they remember about you at your funeral. That's what you really live for. You can say whatever you want today about what you value and what your life is all about and what is the most important things in your life. But it's the people that stand up at your funeral and say, let me tell you about John. That's what you really value. And that is a good question for us to consider this morning. And then the harder question is, is if you say those are the things you value, Is your life orientated in that direction? Because one day they're going to dig a hole for me. And you better show up and you better cry. (laughs) But but one day they're going to dig a hole and they're going to put me in the ground. And we're going to come back here and people are going to say all sorts of things about me. And what do you want them to say about you? Because the truth is you can say what you want about me about being a pastor. I mean... That's not my highest calling in life. But make no mistake, what I want people to say is, he poured his life out. Never one day did he live with his preferences and his agendas on the table. He poured his life out for the sake of the gospel. And he loved them baby girls. Oh, he loved those girls. Every hug, every kiss mattered that he fought for their heart even above their correct behavior. And the way that he treated Christy, his bride, was a way that was a picture for those kids about the way that Christ loves the church. That Christ laid down his life. He prioritized her over himself, even when he was right. He still got up under... (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. That he still prioritized her. That the way that he took care of her when they were older was a picture of the gospel message. And let me be honest. I have apologized every single day to both my children and my wife multiple times a day about how I've missed that mark. But it's my goal and it's my aim of where I want my life to head I want my life, I want 
people to say, John made it count. He poured out his life for the sake of the gospel. There's a pastor named Joby Martin that we've been using kind of as a framework, uh, Second Timothy, his kind of structure for it. And he says this, when Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, blessed are the meek, oftentimes we don't understand what meek is. We think it means weak because they sound the same, meek and weak. But that's not what meek really is. Meek is the picture, the imagery is of a, of a bit and a thoroughbred mouth, this big old horse. And that horse is powerful and it is ready. And when that gate is open, it is ready to run because it is strong and passionate and determined and it is ready, it is designed to be operating at full speed. And I want my life to look like that to where God doesn't even have to get my attention where God just has to tug on the reins a little bit of my life and I'm gone and I will be faithful to the very end. I will burn down the whole ship if the Lord just says, come and follow. That's what I want my life to look like. I want people to be able to say, John was free of fear because the opposite of faith is not doubt. It is fear. And let me be clear, you will never do anything important if you live a fearful life. It will debilitate you and it will cripple you. And God is calling us to be free people. And I don't want to stand before God one day and he says, what did you do with what I entrusted you to? And I look back and say, if only, I should have. If, if Riverside only would have been more courageous. I can't do that. I won't do that. In the last two years, everything has changed around this community. We've left the Methodist church. We've departed for them. We've uh, changed so much of our staff. Uh, we've broken off from Alamo Heights. We've done incredible amount of things over these last two years. And let me be real honest. I think we are headed in the direction that God is calling us. But the truth is, I have no idea if it's actually going to work. I really don't. That's why, but it's because we're called to walk it out by faith. And I want it to be said of me, whether they got it right or wrong, they will know one thing, the world will know one thing, is that we went, that we went for it with everything that we had, even if it was a little off. There will be no mistake that Riverside reached a great multitude of people. I want to reach a great multitude of people with my life. I want you to reach a great multitude of people with your life. And do you know how many a great multitude of people is? Just one more. Just the next person that is standing in front of you. And you will never do that if you are controlled by fear. And I don't want it to be said of me. And I don't want it to be said of this community. C.S. Lewis has this quote, and it's pretty profound. Look, look at what it says. My prayer is that when I die, all of hell rejoices that I'm out of the fight. What a beautiful picture then, that one day when I finish this race, there's going to be two parties going on. There's going to be a party in heaven going on. Come on home, son. We've been waiting for you. And there's a party in hell that said, finally, he's, gonna, he's out of here. He is going to stop harassing us. But I love that picture. And the truth is, I don't know if that's 40 years from now or let's be honest, four hours from now. Because I've gotten that call multiple times in this community where it's, 
Hey, you need to come. There's a car accident. Hey, you need to come. It's not good. And I want it to be said of you and I want it to be said of us that success is not what we accumulate and not the stuff that we have. But success in the kingdom of God is always about who we're raising about who we are bringing up. Because the truth is, friends, brothers and sisters, the only thing you can take with you is people. It's the only thing you can take with you is people. You don't have to wonder about what your life's purpose is. You don't have to wonder what you are created for. This is God's agenda, a banquet feast in heaven with all of us there. That is God's agenda. So whether you are this or that, a teacher, doctor, construction, whatever it is, your purpose is a great multitude of people. And a great multitude of people is just the one standing in front of you. That you and I get to be people that live poured out lives for the sake of the gospel. So this morning, we're really lucky. Um, One of our good friends... uh, is a missionary in Honduras. And we are going to have just a real brief conversation with him about what does it look like practically to live a poured out life. And so he should be up on screen right here. Can we go to the screens? There he is. Hey, this is our good friend, Mr. Eric Bowman, also affectionately known as Beef. And so uh, say good morning, Riverside. Wave to him. Say hey. Uh, this is Eric, uh, and also commonly affectionately known as Beef, and he is a missionary in Honduras. And so, Eric, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself uh, and to just tell us a little bit about you real quick. Absolutely. Hey, my name is Eric Gomez. John said that people down here and all people close to me call me Beef. So if you, if you come down and visit us and you say Beef, I will always answer. Yeah. Uh, but I'm originally from Kentucky, and we currently live in San Pedro Sula, Honduras, and we've lived here since June of 2014. So we just uh, completed our sixth year, so we're going into our seventh, um, serving here full-time. Uh, we live here year-round, and I live here with my wife and my two beautiful daughters, and we now have four Honduran foster children that we've had since birth, and they're all five years old. So, yes, we got them. You have your hands all full. at birth. And, yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's a zoo around the south. Well, uh, but but we've been, we work with Sparrow Missions, and like I said, we've been here for six years and just uh, just trying to every day serve the people in our community. Yeah. Community and the people around us. It's, it's good. At all. At all. So, Eric, uh, so tell us, you had a really good job uh, back in the States. Your wife... Uh, has a really good job. You guys were living in a very comfortable neighborhood. And by all standards, you have a very successful life. And yet the Lord was inviting you to to live this poured out life. So how did you end up there in Honduras? So yeah, like you said, I was was an electrical engineer, worked for the state of Kentucky. My wife has her PhD in nursing with a specialty in pediatrics and teaching at University of Kentucky. So Everything was great, and on the outside looking in, we were living the American dream, you know, and, and it was all fine and good, but there was never, there was never a true sense of peace that, I, that we were doing exactly what God was calling us to do. It always felt like there was something more, you know, like we weren't going deep enough. We were just like you were just talking about, like I was living for the wrong stuff, you know, I never, I always needed more, I always 
always needed to earn more money because we needed to buy this or get this. And, and it was always, there was just always something missing. That's the only way I can explain it. And we, my, my friend Justin Ross is the executive director of Sparrow Missions, and he moved down here to Honduras over 10 years ago and began serving, started Sparrow Missions. And we went down on a short-term mission trip with Sparrow Missions, one of the, one of the first ones, uh, back in 2011. And spent, spent a week there, and it's like normal mission trips, you know, you, it's, it's every minute of every day you're going and sharing the gospel and loving on people and uh, doing all kinds of, our trips back then looked almost exactly like they do now. Uh, we go into communities and, and minister to folks and go to orphanages and children's homes and things like that. And so, and, and you know, when you're on those trips too, like you have focused intentional time and devotionals and, and in the word with, with your group and by yourself. <clears throat> so it's, it's very easy during that week to be poured out, you know, to be, to be living on fire for the gospel. But whenever we would get back, it would always be like, the, all the stuff of life would creep back in and try to rob that time. Um, but there, I, I vividly remember one trip. I think it was our second trip. We came home, and it was just like God was saying to us in that moment, okay, this life that you're living now, this is the life I want you to be living every day when you're not in Honduras. When you go back to Kentucky, I want you to be living this life every day. And so we committed to that. I committed to that, and we began getting plugged into ministries in our community. Uh, my wife and I got licensed as foster parents because God was just impressing on us a, a desire to care for the forgotten children of the world. And so we started doing that and did that for a couple of years. And in 2013, Justin called me one day and said, hey, I want you guys to pray about coming down and becoming directors of our children's home for Sparrow Mission, you know, and, and doing that for a while. And, you know, had he asked me that even three years earlier, I probably instantly would have said, no, man, I can't do that. Like, that, that doesn't make sense. Like, we can't give up everything and, and go, like, I have, there, there's too much planning that has to go on. I can't do that. But when he said that, God just started kind of tugging on our hearts and saying, yeah, that's it. That's what I want you to be doing. And so after a few months of talking to him, I called him one day and just said, hey, man, we're in. We're coming down. <clears throat> and, and in that moment, John, in that moment, there was a peace that I can't even explain because I'd never experienced it before. I never felt it, but it was almost like God was saying, okay, now you're taking this huge step of faith. Now you're fully relying on me. Yeah. This is the life I want you to be living. Right on. This is how you, this is how you're supposed to be living. Not, not that old, old life where you're trying to get ahead in the world and, and always be number one and do your best to, to, to get the most. Like you need to be living for me. I have called you to me. And when we did that and we moved here, even to, this, even to this day, I can't imagine doing anything else. And it's not just living in Honduras. It's living a life that's on fire for the gospel, living a life that's committed to Christ, living a life that's in relationship with him on a constant and daily basis. Yeah. Um, and if we're doing that, he just he opens the doors and shows us yeah. every step along the journey that we should be taking. Yeah, I love it. So I love this perspective that he's showing us is, like we said at a funeral, what do you want to be said at the end of your days? And there is this perspective, I think, beef is, it's so funny, that beef is showing us is that, man, I just want to make it count. And wherever that is, I want to make it count. So tell us a little bit about what's a poured out life look like there in Honduras. Absolutely. 
So Inspire Mission, our mission is, is pretty simple. Our mission is to disciple, to develop, and to educate the forgotten of this world. And, and our, our, we're really driven by the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 12, verse 6, when he asked, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And he says, yet not one of them is forgotten by God. And so what it means here is really just waking up every day and saying, God, I am going to come into contact with people today that this world has forgotten. Yeah. Show me. Show me who they are. Show me where they are. Connect me to those people. And and, and in truth, if I'm not answering my first calling, which is living in relationship with Christ, I'm not going to see that when he points me to those people. Yeah. I'm not going to see that. And so we just wake up each day and just ask God to show us and connect us where we need to be, who we need to talk to. And here, here in Honduras, here in San Pedro, we work in a, a couple of different communities and we work with different various ministries. Um, but one in particular, a community that we're strongly connected with is, is called Rancho Bonito. And it's a community that here in San Pedro most folks know as Los Borgos, and there's several of these communities around town, and it's just a, it's essentially a squatter's village, uh, just very, very, very low, poorest to the poor live in these communities. The houses are just really rough, um, and, and it's, it's just that you go into those communities, and there's not a lot of hope. And so 10 years ago, when Justin and Ashley first stepped into Rancho Bonito, it was, it was a, I actually just saw a video last week of the, their first trip in and just comparing it to what it looks like now is amazing and it, it shows the impact of the gospel and the power of the changed life through Christ because what we've seen is when we were going in there 10 years ago we just started connecting with folks you know we wanted to first and foremost among uh, above anything else is the disciple and so that means just like Pastor Jason was talking last week that means investing in relationships finding people that you can connect with and not just, you know, go in and share the gospel and, and then pack your bags up and leave, but actually sharing the gospel and then following up with those people and walking alongside them each and every day. And so we've done that for the past 10 years. And now those children have become young men and women. And during this pandemic, it's been really cool to see because a lot of our missionaries, a lot of Sparrow's missionaries are in the States right now. And the few of us that are still remaining we can't get into these communities because Honduras, if you don't know, Honduras is on still on full lockdown. So we're only allowed to circulate one day every two weeks. And so it's hard for us to go in and be with those folks daily and weekly like we usually are. But what we've seen is God that has been raising up these young people has now thrust them into the leadership roles that he was already putting them in, but now even more so in their community. So they're the ones leading the ministry. They're the ones leading, you know, we have kids from the community. We have a school called the Sparrow Academy. And kids from this, specifically for kids in Rancho Bonito. And so what we've seen is these young people doing tutoring classes, doing classes for these kids, and, and just encouraging them and the adults in the community. And even beyond Rancho Bonito, there's another community that's pretty rough. Like, we don't ever take teens up beyond a certain line because there's a lot of gang activity, and it's just we don't want to... We don't want to, you know, get into any trouble or anything. But what we've seen is through the food distributions that we did a few months ago, we were able to take food up to that community. And now young people from that community, adults from that community, are coming down into Rancho Bonito. And our young people in Rancho Bonito are connecting yeah. with these 
folks from this other community yeah. and they're leading them and they're sharing the gospel yeah. and they're discipling. These folks are coming to the youth classes and the kids classes. Yeah. And, and it's just a beautiful picture that, that these folks that, you know, if we were, if we were not living a poured out life, if we were not looking to God for how, how we can make our lives count for the gospel, he never could have connected us to those folks right on. who never ultimately would have been able to get to the point where they are today that, to lead folks in their community. Yeah. And it's beautiful for us because we can now just kind of almost like step away and, and they're just going to keep running. And it's the multiplication, the disciples, making disciples, yeah. making disciples. Right and it's just beautiful to yeah. see. And I know I'm, I'm going long, but I just want to share just a real quick story. We had a, we had a big fire in that community. Uh, just two days ago, and nine nine homes were destroyed, and folks that had pretty much nothing to begin with absolutely have nothing now except clothes on their back. Nine families, but we got a video that night, and it was pitch black. You couldn't see anything because there was there was no electricity in the area that they were. The lights were out, so it was completely dark. But you could hear voices singing the song, I could sing of your love forever. And that was our young people with those families and people in the community who had that day experienced such devastation and just despair. In the midst of all of that, they were praising God. To to us, that's just a beautiful picture of of the rewards of a life lived poured out like you've been talking about. So here's the problem. We're sitting in an air-conditioned room back in the States right now. And when we start talking about living a poured out life, uh, it's real easy for us to be like, oh, that's him and that's his calling. But here's the thing we have to see. The yes is still the same. The call is still the same. Wherever you find yourself is a poured out life for the sake of the gospel. So what would your encouragement be for us here right now? If there's one thing that you could tell us. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I think first and foremost, wake up each day asking God, where do you want me? Where do you want me to serve? Yeah. Who do you want me to connect with? Yeah. Where, where are you calling me? Because the Great Commission is a commission. It's not a request. God, was, he's sending us out each and every day and telling us to go. Whether that's across the world or across the street, every step that we take is in a different part of the world. Yeah. And that's where God has called us to go. And so I just encourage you to do that. And then also just remember that whatever work that we are doing can be God's work. If we just ask him to reshape, refocus our minds to see what we're doing as an opportunity to serve others, no matter what that is. Because like you said, like it doesn't matter where you live or where you are. The calling is exactly the same for each and every one of us. And that is just to go and to preach the gospel and to baptize and to teach them. And just to share everything that God has done for us in our lives and just pour out. Let, let the overflow of the Spirit and God in our lives pour out into the people around us. Amen. That's a good word. So here, one last thing. Hey, if people want to connect with Sparrow Ministries, what's the easiest, best way to kind of connect with you and the ministry right there if they like to find out more about that? Sure. The easiest way is, uh, of course, we're all, all over social media. So Sparrow Missions, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all of that. Social, I don't even know. I don't think we have TikTok. I don't think we're going there. <laughs> but, but, but uh, and then also our website is just sparrowmissions.com. And you can read more about all the ministries that we're involved in, service opportunities, um, ways that you can, we, we do uh, sponsorship for kids in our school, as well as the young people serving in the Bordeaux. So 
all that all that stuff you can find online, or you can get in touch with us. There's ways to connect uh, with us individually on the website as well. So we'd love to we'd love to hear from you. Good, and we'll post on social media just inf- contact information for you guys this week. But will you hold on just for one second, Eric? Will you hold on for a second? So <laughs> Riverside, I just want to, as we come to the close of Second Timothy, there is this call, this plead from Paul to live a poured out life. And I love what Eric says. The yes is still the same. Wherever you find yourself, success is defined not by the stuff that you could accumulate, accumulate, but it's about how much of your life did you pour out for the sake of the gospel. That is the call for every single one of us where the world tells us to be full of our stuff. The gospel beckons us to pour it all out to be tired, to be sore, to be worn out at the end of the race, as Paul says, I have finished it, I have fought it, and I have kept the faith. That is an invitation for you, for us this morning. And so Eric, my brother, would you pray that over our community and close us down in our time together this morning? Absolutely. All right, get it. Heavenly God, we just, uh, God, we are first of all just humbled. Humbled and thankful that you call us, that you give us the opportunity to serve, to be your hands and feet in this world, no matter where we are. Now, whether we're on the other side of the planet or just in the living room of our home, God, wherever you have placed us is where you intended for us to be in that moment. And wherever you placed us, God, you have given us a calling. You've given us a calling to be your sons and your daughters. You've given us a calling to, 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 to go deeper with you. God, to be in relationship with you. And then, God, you've also called us to the world around us. You've called us to go. So, God, just show us each and every day. Show us where we can serve. God, if that means in our office buildings, if that means in, in our families, if that means in our church, our community, somewhere else in the world help us to be obedient to not just hear your call but to faithfully answer and say yes Lord here am I send me and then to go as you have called us to go and God it's only it's only when we are in relationship with you that we can hear your voice leading us and see your hand guiding us to where it is that you want us to go so just Help us to go deeper with you each and every day, God. Spending time in your word. Spending time alone with you. And then just trying to see the world with the eyes of the Holy Spirit. To know, God, where you are leading us to go. Father God, we just thank you so much for the precious gift of salvation that you've given to each and every one of us. Not just to hold within ourselves, but to share with the world around us. There's so many people hurting right now, so, so much going on in our world that, that screams fear, yeah. anxiety, yes. despair. But God, the one thing that screams hope and joy and peace is you. And you've placed that story within each and every one of us and given us a testimony to share. Help us to be willing to go. Help us to be willing to share. Help us to be willing to lead and to disciple and to do everything that you have called us to do. God, we thank you. And I just, God, pray blessings over 
uh, this church over Riverside Community Church, God, and just the work that they are doing, not just around the world, but the work that they're doing in their community. I just pray your blessings upon them as a people as they continue to seek, God, where you are leading them in areas for them to connect all around the world. God, just guide and direct them and just bless this church, God. Bless their pastor, God, and the their staff. We just ask you, Lord, just to continue to, to lead them and guide them and direct them. We love you. God, we are so thankful to be part of your kingdom and to be part of your kingdom's work. May we always be faithful. May we always be obedient. In your precious, in your holy, and your powerful name, we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. Would you stand and receive this blessing as you go this morning? And so may the Lord bless you keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace, his shalom. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Say thanks to Eric this morning and we'll see you next week. Thanks y'all.